Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, good morning. So glad that you're joining us here today. Bowmanville, Port Perry, anywhere around the world, welcome to week five in our Spiritual Gifts series. Uh, we've been summarizing spiritual gifts again in very simple ways. Uh, this was written originally by a guy named Bobby Clinton where he d- divided them by love, word, and, and empower gifts. And he, he wrote it like this. Love gifts manifest the love of God in practical ways. Power gifts demonstrate the power, presence, and reality of God. In other words, you know God is in the room for real when these gifts are used. And word gifts clarify the nature, action, and purposes of God. So who God is, what he likes, what he doesn't, what he expects, what he invites us into. But but a few weeks ago also, we began to wrestle down something that I want to bring back up once again. And, And I posed it like this. Why do so many of the spiritual gifts actually feel like things we're all called to do as Christians? I mean, what's really up with that? I mean, we're all called to shepherd each other, that is, care for each other. Evangelism, we're all called to witness. Uh, We're all called to have faith, that is, to believe. We're all called to be discerning what is right, what is wrong. We're all called to pray for healing if someone is sick. If we're all supposed to give, uh, and yet the gift of giving is there, we're all called to be merciful with each other. So how do I work this out? And I don't know if you remember, but just, again, write this down, especially for your connect groups. Everything that is not a spiritual gift in your life becomes an opportunity to become a spiritual discipline. Let me demonstrate this again. It was a few weeks ago when we had all that snow. Do you remember all that snow from a few weeks ago? And it was one of the worst days and all the snow was piling up and it was heavy and it was cold. And I think like all of us, we had sort of shoveled our way out. And near the end of the day, uh, we had finally shoveled out our driveway and it was clean and it was great. And then the temperature went up a little bit. So it made the snow a little wetter and a little heavier. And then, of course, what happened like at 6.50 at night, all that work is done, all is right with the world, and then the snow plow comes and builds a wall that Trump would be pleased with across my driveway. So I'm just like, oh, this is awful. And of course, we, we got to get out in the morning. So I'm out there. It's now 7.05 and the sun's going down and it's heavy, wet snow. And I've got my shovel and I'm praising the Lord in 1 Corinthians 13, love, right? And it's just heavy. And suddenly, two of my children appeared in the darkness, which freaked me out, and then said, can we help? And I said, oh my goodness, it's a Christmas miracle in February. Yes, come quickly, which made it worse because now the snow was on the driveway. So it moved from an hour job to an hour and a half job, but we're having a family moment, so all is okay. And as we're digging, I'm just thinking in my head, this is so bad. I'm so bad at this. This is so heavy. This is so cold. And then out of the other side of our street, out of the darkness and the wind, suddenly a savior came. A neighbor came and he had a snowblower and he just looked at me and said, do you want me to do this for you? I'm like, yes, I'll pay you. Just do it. And he just right turned the sucker on. And in five minutes, that whole wall was removed. Now, when he was doing this, no word of a lie, I thought about this sermon and said, that is an amazing sermon illustration to demonstrate to the church the difference between gift and discipline. See, I needed to clear that wall out because we needed to leave in the morning and and the kids had to get to school for the rest of us. So we're going to get rid of that. But it would have taken an hour of hard work or an hour and a half with the kids and it was a discipline, but it could have been done, but it would have taken a while. But when someone else with a different ability and a different power that I did not have showed up, it went for an hour and 10 minutes to five minutes. Do you see the difference between gift and discipline? 
And this is so incredibly important that we catch this because we're all called into the spiritual holy life of disciplines, but when the gift is in the room, everything changes. Now, last week we were talking about word gifts, specifically teaching, exhortation, slash encouragement, and apostleship. And today we're going to continue in this series in the word sort of area, the cluster. We're going to look at leadership, also called ruling, pastoring, shepherding, and evangelism. Let's start with leading a ruling. It's found in Romans 12.8. If your spiritual gift is to lead, then lead diligently. Now, as we, talked about this, as, as, as we talk about this gift, it is particularly important because the understanding around this gift is going to adjust expectations again, will clarify tension that if you've done church for a while, you have personally experienced. The gift of leadership and the gift of ruling is not administration. It's about the what and where, not the how. It's vision, not implementation. Remember, when we talked about the love gifts, the spiritual gift of administration is not usually connected with a spiritually gifted leader. Administration is a leadership gift in the sense that it helps influence, but it is a second chair leadership gift. It's a supportive gift that needs to work alongside and under the leadership gift. Now, here's something else. The gift of leadership should be central in all churches. Here's how a few people have defined it. Leadership is to exercise influence over a group to lead it towards a vision or goal, enabling the body of Christ, the church, to accomplish, notice, God's purpose for this group. Some of you might be incredible leaders at work, corporate leaders, business leaders. You might be leaders in your own field, great leaders even at home. And that's not wrong, but remember, spiritual gifted leadership is when God gives vision for his people to do something. Another person wrote, a person operating with a ruling gift demonstrates the capacity to exercise influence over a, group, over a group as to lead it towards the goal or purpose with a particular emphasis on the capacity to make decisions and keep the group operating together. It's vision, it's conceptual, it's where, it's what, it's group-oriented. Leaders are the ones that God usually speaks to and tells them where to go, go to this promised land. They see the ark before it's built. They see the temple <clears throat> before it's built. They are the ones that God speaks to about where the people need to go. They're the ones that are given heaven sent where and what, but rarely how. Now what many miss is there needs to be a deep personal connection between God and those with the gift of leadership because if they're going to lead clearly, they must first hear clearly. And many key leaders are not actually involved in the spiritual disciplines of silence or solitude or listening prayer. And so since they neglect that, even though Jesus models it, they actually begin to give vision to communities that are good, might even be godly, but are not the specific assignment God has for them. And so there is little fruit because they did not listen before they acted. Now let's go farther. Many that have the gift of leadership also have the title or office pastor but actually do not have the spiritual gift of pastor or shepherding. And this is so critical for us as a church, and it's always critical at any church, because again, the thing that breaks churches down much of the time are wrong expectations. During the very first time I preached on spiritual gifts in 2011, at this very place, on this very topic, I remember I stood up, and I started my sermon like this. I have a confession to make. The room went incredibly quiet. I think one person laughed nervously, because everyone's like, is he quitting? Is he going to another church? Has he had a moral failure? Like, what's going on? And I said, my name is John Thompson, and I'm one of your pastors, but my confession is, I'm not really a pastor. Everyone was shocked and a little puzzled. I said, no, no, this is what you've got to catch. 
I don't have the spiritual gift of shepherding as the scriptures describe it. One of my primary gifts is leadership. And in the context of us learning about all the gifts, it is important to know what gifts we have and don't have so we do not expect people to deliver on gifts they have not been gifted by the Holy Spirit. And then I said these words, I will never be a shepherd. And if you want me as one of your pastors to be a shepherd, you should leave our church today. We will find a church for you locally. We have the directory because I will never never be able to fulfill your expectations because actually God has not equipped me that way. Now, I didn't leave it like that, get out of our church. And I said, but the great news is this, there are hundreds of pastors and shepherds among us. Some of them are in staff and most of them are not. The fact that we use the title pastor as an umbrella term for a number of different roles in the, in the church is fine. But let me say this, because I hang out with pastors all the time. So many pastors get into horrendous situations trying to live up to superhuman expectations. Many of the expectations about gifts the Holy Spirit has not equipped them to do. And so the church demands of pastors something they cannot do, so they end up jaded or failing or walking away. Now in this church, I'm deeply honored that many, many people have the gift of shepherding here. And as a leader, I helped get to lead them because that's my gift. I also love in this church that we're working hard to make sure expectations are right. To get a flavor of this, this is the example we use of the Old Testament. Think about Moses and Aaron. Moses is the visionary leader of God's people, and Aaron was a gifted pastor and, and implementer. And by the way, that is why years ago, Dave and I decided to divide the classic senior pastor role into what we call the pastoral lead team. And both of us have the title lead pastor, but we actually divide our role based on spiritual gift. We so believe this is so significant that we actually, at the top of what we're called to do, have divided the role based on gift, not just based on office. Now, in my own interaction with young or potential pastors or leaders in, in conversation, much of the time I will say to them, well, I never lead like Jesus. That always gets their attention. I only lead like Moses. And they're like, well, you can't say that. I'm like, oh, no, I just said it. There you go, leadership gift again. Deal with it. And they're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, no, please understand. I love Jesus deeply. He's profound, and he's our Lord and Savior. But see, Moses led a movement Jesus never did. Jesus started a movement. Moses took an enslaved and impoverished people and led them out of captivity. Jesus called 12 and then 115 prepared to launch a movement that transformed the world. Jesus walked among the people. Moses walked in front of the people. Neither are wrong. It's a gift thing. Years ago, Peter Wagner, writing on this, wrote that many leaders dislike administration. So they delegate this responsibility to others with different gift mixes. And then he quotes a guy named Lyle Schowler, and this is so helpful. He likens skillful pastors of growing churches to ranchers rather than shepherds. Ranchers make sure that the different flocks and herds get the attention they need, and they get others to do it. They take very little interest in the problems of one individual sheep. Pastors who prefer the shepherd model, listen closely, will have to contend themselves with small churches, and this is probably God's will for them. In them, their role of leadership will suffice without the spiritual gift. On the other hand, those that can fit into the rancher model have greater possibility for growth. They are likely to have the spiritual gift of leadership. God loves both shepherds and leaders, but they're different. Now, even more important, many of you and some of our pastoral staff have the shepherding gift. But what I'm trying to point out today is you cannot impose what you want staff to have 
or other people in your life or connect groups without actually looking at them first and foremost through the lens of your gifts and their gifts. So I have the gift of leadership. That's one of the gifts I have. I love this church. I I care for this community. I care for you. But my God-given role here at C4 is to lead this whole church. It's to delegate, to pray, to preach, to listen to the Lord, to give vision, to teach. Yet at the same time, as this church gets larger, as we've now crossed the 3,000 barrier, as we're getting ready for C4 Pickering, as we're about to launch Plan 2, as we're preparing still under God's grace and his guidance to actually reach 10,000 people, as we get more leadership-oriented and larger, at the same time we get bigger, we must fight and still continually do small incredibly well. In other words, we need a pastoral gift resolution among us. In other words, if you're a shepherd, we need you desperately all the time. Now, here's some symptoms that others have sort of summarized that might tell you that you have the spiritual gift of leadership. You have the ability to get direction or vision from God for a group. You're able to influence others to follow that direction coming from God. In some cases, those with leadership have the ability to organize or build the superstructure that the ministry can happen effectively It should be noted that much of the time those with leadership gifts use this gift in operation with others, especially other word gifts. So let me ask you a question. Do you have the spiritual gift of leadership? Are you running from it? Are you obeying? Are you praying for the needed character because you cannot lead out of what you do not have? Are are you actually leading out of a father-honoring, Jesus-ordained, spirit-empowered place? Because the gift of leadership which is so desperately needed in the church, that gives vision. Because remember, the Bible says where, where there is no vision, the people perish. And there is no vision if there's not leadership in the room. And yet when leaders fall, it's devastating. So character always over gift. Now this leads us to what I've already been referring to, gift two, shepherding or pa- pa- pastoring. Powerful, beautiful, needed. Now one of the strongest passages that talks about this is Ephesians 4. Verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Jesus may be built up. Here's some different definitions others have given. The pastoral gift is the capacity to exercise concern and care for members of a group to encourage them in their growth in Jesus. Which involves, listen to the language, modeling maturity, protecting them from error, disseminating truth. Another wrote, the gift of pastors, the special ability God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to assume long-term responsibility for the spiritual welfare of one group of believers. Notice the language, concern, care, model, personal responsibility, welfare, and teach. Person-centric, though. This comes, of course, from shepherding, literally sheep raising. Shepherds are sheep-centric. They look look after one flock. They give personal attention to each sheep. They teach, they build unity, they heal wounds. They're involved in the life of the people over a long term. And I love when another wrote, they do whatever else is necessary to see that people continue in the faith and grow in their spiritual lives. They are the epicenter of discipleship. That is why they tend to lead but they never tend to lead beyond a small church or as a volunteer in a small group of people. God's heart and his personal care and his desire for that small group or person to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus will never allow them to lead many. And that's not bad or lesser. 
It's actually profound, powerful, and significant. But see, leaders are compelled to make calls for the all. Pastors make call for the one or the some. Now, did you notice in Ephesians 4 that teaching and pastoring can be connected? Well, of course they can. Many, tho- many of those who are shepherds also have the gift of teaching because teaching can become an act of shepherding and care, getting rid of wolves and making sure you don't fall into error. But again, I love when one person wrote this. A teacher can have a low need for people. A pastor has a high need for people. A teacher is content-centered, motivation-centered, and task-centered. A pastor is usually person-centered. See, the key idea of shepherding is people, the spiritual care for people, which can take the form of teaching and even encouragement and pastoral care and literal presence over the long term. It's the long-term journey with people so they can be loved through life and also grow in their faith in Jesus. But it was another author that did a ton of thinking and evaluation on this gift. And here's how he broke it down almost sociologically. If you have the gift of shepherding, and many of you do, and you're a volunteer, or let's say you're a a part-time even staff person in our community or in another church that you're watching, you usually can maybe shepherd 8 to 15 families and then you tap out. Now, if you're a full-time staff member in a community and you have the gift of shepherding, you can usually shepherd somewhere between 50 and 100 families and then you tap out. Because again, you want to know everyone's name. And you want to know everyone's story. And you want to remember that dedication and that moment that you became a Christian at Alpha and that moment where you were filled by the Holy... It's like all these moments. And as I continue to have conversations with pastors and now denominational heads and, and leaders across our country as we're talking about how the church can reverse the dying trend and talking about growth and revitalization in the Canadian church, the one thing that is not being talked about, the elephant in the room is this. Almost every single church in Canada and most seminaries and Bible colleges are only training pastors and teachers and shepherds and not leaders at all. And that is why almost every single church in North America is under 200 people. It's not that the people aren't praying enough. It's not that, that we're more spiritual and they're less, no, no, irrelevant. But if you do not have leadership in the room, you will care so much for the sheep, you will stop at a certain number. If leadership is in the room, you will grow, but you've got to make sure that your shepherding is doing really well. Now, in our context at C4, as well as the context of many other growing churches, uh, the gift of pastoring is one of the most needed gifts at this moment. I think it's fair to say that most large churches on our continent, if you evaluate them, whether you like their style or not, are usually led by leaders or leader teachers. And they they tend to be bigger than life people. But we all need to remember that all pastors have shelf lives. Pastors own nothing. We just work for someone else. And pastors will move on. And what happens in a large growing church when the gifted leader leaves because of scandal failure, retirement, or he's called by the Holy Spirit to another community. When that moment of transition happens, you will know how healthy the church is by the, other, by the way the other gifts have been used during their tenure. If those attending a large church are led to believe that their primary source of ministry comes from what I'm doing right now, the pulpit thing, not only will their own personal life become spiritually weak, because in other words, I think about this, if you only ate once a week, you'd be really hungry and sick. But deeper than that, if this whole church thing is really about what John is doing right now, then actually, why would you ever get involved in the rest of the church? 
In other words, if a church is rallying just around a personality or a leadership gift, and the rest of the gifts are not being used, including the shepherding gift, the church becomes sick. But if all the spiritual gifts are being used, the significance of the ministry will be exponentially strong. And when the leader does move on, by the way, I'm not giving an announcement today, but when the leader does move on, guess what? The church is just what? Fine. And so we need the spiritual gift of pastoring place. And by the way, if you want to calculate it out from a volunteer standpoint, we probably need one shepherd for every 10 families across our church. So we can see that those with the gift of shepherding gravitate towards caring for small groups of people over time. Shepherds come along with practical actions, pointed prayer. They teach, they lead in smaller settings. It's people-centered, not vision-centered. It's not even administrative necessarily. It's about discipleship. Are you a pastor? Are you called? Are you a shepherd among us? And by the way, some of you are like, oh, I don't want that title. No, no, no. If you are a spiritually gifted shepherd, then God sees you as a pastor, whether you have the office or not. Now, from leadership and pastoring, we now come to an amazing, powerful, misunderstood gift called evangelism. Now, every one of us, if you are a Christian, I know some of you aren't, but many of us are, we are called to talk about Jesus and share the good news of Jesus. Now, the phrase evangelist is used about three times in the New Testament, Ephesians 4.11, Christ gave the evangelist. We see in Timothy's experience, 2 Timothy 4.5, that Timothy has the spiritual gift of evangelism. As a pastor, he's called to do the work of an evangelist. And in Acts 21.8, Philip, who is one of the deacons, is called an evangelist. Now, notice again, and this is critical, like all gifts over time, you will know your gift because you will function with joy when you do this, and there will be different results. Here's two different definitions. Evangelism is the special ability in communicating the gospel message in relevant ways to unbelievers. Another wrote, the gift of evangelism in general refers to the capacity to challenge people through various communicative methods like persuasion to receive the good news, the gospel of salvation in Christ as to see them take initial steps in Christian discipleship. Now, this is really important. And and we really, this is actually incredibly important. Evangelism is not about presence. It's about proclamation. It's a word gift. The famous statement attributed to St. Francis Assisi, which was on every single Christian t-shirt when I was in Bible college. Preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. It's a powerful, needed call for us to live an authentic, Jesus-filled life. We can all say amen. Food, water, support, counseling, benevolence, all of that. That's why in this church we are unashamedly holistic, spiritual, physical, emotional. But that is not evangelism. No one is saved by observing a quiet, godly life alone. People are saved by giving the good news through preaching, signs and wonders, and personal conversation. The gospel cannot just be lived out. It must be spoken and given. Our good works, our love for the needy, our mercy allows what happens next. It prepares, it authenticates, it creates the space in the heart. But Jesus' gospel must be proclaimed. It's not either or, it's both and. Presence and proclamation leads to the fulfillment of the promise. Now never forget, and we've got to catch this, all sorts of non-Christians are just as nice and kind and benevolent as we are. They give food and money and time. NGOs, governments, movie stars, all sorts of other religions have their own version of Compassion International and World Vision. 
But what we need to, again, recapture is this. That doesn't bring salvation to the nations. Evangelism is giving only one thing. It's not living a nice life. It's not helping the poor in Jesus' name. Evangelism is proclaiming the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus for salvation. As one wrote, the word gospel comes from two Greek words, good news and announcement. It's an announcement of good news. The gift of evangelism involves proclaiming the good news. And what is the good news you need to speak? It is the thrilling report of something that historically happened that can bring unsearchable riches now. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully human, this person writes, died for my sins on the cross 19 centuries ago, was buried, and physically came back on the third day, God the Father can accept his son's sacrifice as a full satisfaction for my lawlessness and my sin. And if I reach out by informed trust, by faith, to receive Jesus as my personal Savior, I am declared righteous by God, not through anything I do, but through the merit, work, and ability of Jesus alone. No longer are we exposed to the penalty of breaking God's word and law. We become children of God through Jesus alone, adopted into God's family through Jesus alone. And as I accept that, and I actually begin to understand the implications of the good news, I experience real joy from my past, strength in my present because the Holy Spirit is in me, and a living hope for the future because Jesus came back from the dead. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen this morning to that? Now, what the thing is this, we need to get this right. That is what we need to proclaim. And anything other than proclaiming that is not evangelism. But there's another thing we need to address, gift versus discipline. We're all called to witness. We're all called to tell the good news. But for most of us here at C4, we have the discipline of evangelism, not the gift of evangelism. By the way, That is why we love the Alpha Course in this church so much. It gives space for the vast majority of us to witness when it's not our gift. All you need to do is be nice, invite someone, ask the Holy Spirit to witness, eat some food, and watch God do his thing. That's why it's so profound. And by the way, I just sort of a side note, a little vision moment, because that leadership thing is kicking in. We're going to make Alpha so much more significant than we have before. And just so you know, I was at a meeting this week that next year in September, 1,100 churches from Halifax to Vancouver Island are all going to launch Alpha on the same day to reach 80,000 people in 10 weeks in our country. And we're going to be at the epicenter of that. And so I wanted to say to you right now, discipline or gift, start praying now about what God is going to do. And yet some of us here have this spiritual gift of evangelism. But there's this tension that always exists. Am I doing enough? I love Leighton Ford, who himself is a famous evangelist, who recognizes his own evangelistic gift, and he admits, yeah, God makes certain people evangelists through spiritual gifts, but then he also says, we must not use the teaching on spiritual gifts as a cop-out to avoid our responsibility to share Jesus with others. You may not be called as an evangelist, but you and every Christian, by an attitude of love and compassion and concern and well-chosen words, can have the privilege to lead people to Jesus. And this also helps us deal with an unsaid crisis of faith that exists in every church. See, for many of us who are Christians, who have witnessed our friends or family, and no one's ever come to faith, What we start thinking is, what did I do wrong? Did I use the words right? Should have I said it differently? Should I have had a different intro video? Like, what's wrong? 
And then you, if you go down that path, you're like, well, maybe the power of Jesus doesn't work, or maybe the message of Jesus isn't as powerful as I thought it was. And you actually can actually move to the point where you walk away from the faith because your disappointment breeds unbelief. But you need to let God set you free right now and, and realize that God is pleased with many of you just for your faithfulness. Don't get rid of the guilt and shame that many people have not come to faith or your family's not said yes. Your job is to love and to point Jesus. John the Baptist said, if you want him, he's right over there. That's your job. And that's the beautiful thing. And remember, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, some people water, some people weed, some people grow it, and some people see the harvest, but God is the one who does it on the end. Now, to the evangelists among us, do you have the spiritual gift of evangelism? He says, stand, be empowered. The cries of not only 10,000, but many more are being heard, and, and they're waiting, and go tell them the good news. Some of you will express this privately, some of you will do this publicly, but you will all, if you have the gift of evangelism, you will always relate to phrases like this. This is a famous thing from C.T. Studd, a really famous preacher who said, some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue ship within a yard from hell. If you're an evangelist, you're like, mm, white hanky out right there. The rest is like, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. Gift, discipline. Let me tell you why this is so important in our connect groups to work this out. Years ago, and my friend is probably watching right now at Bowmanville because that's the study he attends. Years ago, we were in a connect group, and a guy named Steve in our connect group said, well, I don't have any spiritual gifts. And we're like, hey, 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 you, you do. The Bible is clear about this. And we had this whole conversation back and forth, and he says, well, I don't know my gift. And, and then we all laughed at him because there was no mercy in the room at all. So that was great. And he's like, why are you laughing at me? And we're like, because we all know your gift. He's like, what are you talking about? We're like, Steve, okay. So we walked it through and like, Steve, okay, let's walk it through. Um, every time you come to Connect Group, when we come to prayer time, tell, list all the names you list. So he lists them all. I said, what connects them all? And he was like, I don't know. He said, they're, I said, they're all non-Christians. Yeah, and then what happens when we break up for prayer? Well, you know, and we just, he'd pray and pray. And every time he'd pray, like he'd, he'd pray for us, yeah, but he'd, he'd pray that people would meet Jesus. And he, said, I, and he said all the time, I just wish I had better words and I wish I knew how to say it better. And, I would, and, and, and so I'm smiling this whole time because his whole prayer life are about non-Christians. He only prays for non-Christians. He sort of blesses us as a drive-by. He's, 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 he's wanting for the better words. And then, and then I'm like, and at work, what do you do? He says, well, I, you know, I try to intend tell them about Jesus. I'm like, and that happens. He's like, well, sort of everywhere. I'm like, yeah, you're an evangelist. And he's like, no, I'm not. I said, why? Because you're not Billy Graham? And it, you watched his face. See, this is why I keep bringing this home. If you have a wrong expectation in your head of what that looks like, and you don't fit it, you'll miss what the Spirit's trying to do in you. See, Billy Graham was one of the most gifted evangelists in history. But many, many evangelists will never stand in front of thousands of people and sing just as I am and they'll all come forward. Many people with the spiritual gift of evangelism, it's just one-on-one. -on -one. You know you have the spiritual gift of evangelism when you cannot shut up. You only talk about Jesus with people all the time. And you don't understand why the rest of us aren't joining you. You keep looking behind you going, where is everyone else? Why are you all so afraid? It's not that big deal. And we're like, yeah, that's great. We're so glad you're doing it over there. I'm going to take my friend to Alpha. And you're like, I'm on the bus and I talk about Jesus. See, and it can be deeply intellectual or it can be very personal. John Lennox, Ravi Zacharias, they have the gift of evangelism. It's intellectual, it's cognitive, it's persuasion. But if you talk to them, and I was actually talking to one of their leaders the other day, they will tell you it's a supernatural, they need to share the gospel. And if you're the person sitting on a bus or sitting in a train and you always end up just sharing the good news of Jesus, it is a great chance 
that you have the spiritual gift of evangelism, whether you're on a street corner or not. You're just sharing this. And it's, what, it's really a critical thing. Now, again, let me just use this story with Steve because it matters. Something needs to happen among us all the time, and it's really critical, and it's this. We all need to keep telling each other where our gifts are because we're going to miss them. So one of the disciplines that needs to keep happening in this church, across the church, way beyond when this series ends, is when you see a spiritual gift or a possible spiritual gift in another, you need to say to them, I see this in you. We need, to, we need the discipline of affirmation. Every time you pray, this thing happens. Why does it happen with you and not with me? Every time you're mercy, you see, it's this constant thing. And so the discipline of affirmation is critical for a church always knowing and understanding its gifts. Now let's just keep going and understand this. Do you have a strong desire to share your faith with others? Do you always tell people about Jesus? Where you go, others are afraid then you might have this gift. Notice all three gifts I shared today are speech, audible, communication. Can you identify with them? Do you, do you say, oh man, that's me? Are you going, oh, I know who that is? And you're hitting the person beside you already. Is someone coming into your mind, you're like, oh my goodness, that gift is written all over them. Make sure you go talk to them. So here's how we're gonna end, how we've been doing this through this whole series. Our goal is that every person would begin to explore and ask the Holy Spirit what gift or gifts they've been assigned in our community. And so at the end of the service, when we're done, at every site, every location, we're gonna finish singing and then the host is gonna come up and give you instructions. And basically there's gonna be some staff and some elders available. And if you have any of the gifts I've spoken about today, evangelism, leadership, spiritual leadership, shepherding or pastoring, you need to come forward. And I, I need to say this again. I feel prompted to say this. Many of you still are hesitating to come forward for prayer about being a pastor because of the title. You really got to get over it. If you have the spiritual gift of shepherding, you need to come forward and we need to pray for you. We also realize that we're always in rotation here. And so tons of you weren't here last week or the week before and you've listened to the podcast. And so, so far we've done administration, helps, mercy, giving, teaching, encouragement, exhortation, apostleship, evangelism, leadership, shepherding. If you've not been prayed over yet, we'd like you to come forward. Now, some of you are so excited, you're coming forward before we deal with your gift. Stop it. We love you. Stop. We're going to pray for you later. We want to make sure you got it. Others are like, well, do I wait till the end? And then I'm like, no, no, double dip. So come forward. We'll pray over you. And then come back again. Because it's critical because what we want to do is we want to take this journey as a family together to understand and to listen. Because even now, even today, I've been in conversations where people are like, man, I thought it was this, but I really realize it's that. And so I just love you. Would you do this? Would you stand with me? And, and let's again, let's take a moment uh, to pray. Because remember, and I, I want to remind the whole church for this, everyone on the podcast listening to, why is the Holy Spirit asked us to do this sermon series now? Because the Holy Spirit is reorienting the church and getting us all together with one common script because of what we're all about to do together. So this is a great preparatory moment. So Lord, we just thank you again that the Holy Spirit has been given to us. And it doesn't matter our gender or our age, you're in us. Thank you, Father, you called us. Thank you, Jesus, you died for us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, you possess us. And thank you for the gifts in this church. So we want to pray right now over every single teacher in our community and leader in our community. 
uh, and shepherd in our community, evangelist in our community, that you would begin, Holy Spirit, to affirm this. Some people, God, were wondering if they have it, would you affirm it? Some people want it, and it's your right to say yes or no. But Lord, would you work this out? And we just pray for more of the Holy Spirit and more power. We pray for great power on the evangelist that many would come to faith in Jesus. We pray for greater leadership among us so we can hear God and vision can be accomplished. We pray for this shepherd pastoring revolution among us where people will be loved and cared for and, and sh shepherded well over life. So come, Lord, speak to us, we ask. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.